Good morning, church. Isn't singing great? You want to hear some more good news? No more church bands. This past Monday, the California District Court approved a settlement approving the permanent injunction against COVID-19 restrictions against churches and places of worship. Amen to that. Amen to that. We can just give thanks to the Lord. We are grateful for those churches in Sun Valley, Chino Hills, and Orange County that paved the way. Ultimately, we are most grateful for our Lord and Savior, for this church, the Bride of Christ, Redeemed South Bay, as we have met worship without restrictions this past year. That's the good news. Let us move on to even more good news in the Word of God. Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. In the Bibles in front of you, it is in, on page, can be found on page 894. Our passage today is from John, chapter 8, verses 12 to 20. For context, I'll be starting with verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They, this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one. Beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. And our passage this morning, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you neither knew, you neither you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. 
These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful and thankful for who you are. Thank you for this morning's worship. It has been so sweet, so beautiful. We come to you, Lord, in the study of your word, that it may reveal truth, that it may reveal sin, that people may be saved. We ask, Lord, the, that the Spirit would be moving in your servant this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, relationships matter. How we relate with one another matters and makes you understand who we are. In the soap operas of soap operas spanning 47 years, Star Wars. For Luke, what is his relationship with Han Solo? Uber space driver? Yeah. Friend? Scoundrel? Bounty hunter? Brother-in-law? Spirit. Whether it's Jean Valjean or Aragorn, relationships matter in the how. So when it comes to Jesus, God in flesh, C.S. Lewis has said this, and we've heard this many times, there are three responses to Jesus. He is either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. How people relate to Jesus matters. Which brings us to this morning's message, I am the light of the world. world. Point A, where and when? Point B, who is Jesus? Point number two, another session in court, a weak challenge, worthy witnesses, and when Jesus' hour comes. So point number one, I am the light of the world. Verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In verse 20, these words he spoke in the treasury. When we study the word of God, we need to look at the meta-narrative, looking at the Bible as a whole, breaking it down in the Old Testament, New Testament, epistles, gospels, chapter, and verse by verse. The when and the where are important. So what's the where? What preceded this passage is the Feast of Booths, also called the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a week-long event culminating on the eighth day. Last week's message, we saw the scribes and Pharisees drag the adulterous woman out of the darkness and publicly bring her sin to the light of day. Today, we're at the temple. The first courtyard is the court of Gentiles, where anyone could come and go. The second courtyard is the treasury, or the court of women, which is where our passage takes place. It is an area for Jews, converted Gentiles, men and women. And in this area, there are 13 chests, like trumpets, that are narrow on the bottom. It is where the people would go to make their appropriate offerings. It was also the same place where the widow gave her last two coins in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 and 42. 
And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two copper coins, which makes a penny. It was a very busy part of the temple and is a place where the devout people of the Lord would congregate. The court of women would be packed with thousands upon thousands of people that would gather through because of the Feast of Tabernacles. It is a destination. It is a gathering place. To get a sense of the crowd, it would be packed like Disneyland. Everyone can go to downtown Disney, but only the select, the devout, can enter the park. This is the setting of a crowded place, the court of women. This is the where. So now we come to the when. This, this time takes place following the, the Feast of Tabernacles. It is an important time for the Jews and very celebratory. There's a celebration called the Illumination of the Temple. And on the last day, these magnificent, large candelabras in the temple were lit after dusk, lighting up the courtyard and the temple. What a magnificent scene this would be. With this backdrop, Jesus uses this time for maximum impact and maximum effect. Tension has been building, as we've been seeing in the escalating conflict in chapters 7 and 8. This is the where and the when. As we're studying the Gospel of John, what is the Gospel? It is the good news. It is the good news of point A, who is Jesus? We need to especially take careful notes on what Jesus says about himself, not what others say. He uses words and phrases pointing to his identity and his divinity. There's also why Jesus and his words brought increasing hostility. Here's what Jesus says about himself so far in the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, where Jesus is called, calls himself the Son of Man, verse 51. John chapter 2, we have Jesus cleansing the temple and refers to himself as the one true temple. In chapter 3, we have, oh, those familiar verses, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes him in him should not perish, but have eternal life. In chapter 4, we have the Samaritan woman and her encounter with Jesus and the teaching in verse 25 and 26 as Jesus being the Messiah or the anointed one. In chapter 5, we have the teaching of Jesus being the judge with all authority given to him by God the Father. Verse 22, verse 30. In chapter 6, we have Jesus teaching on being the true bread from the heaven, from heaven, the bread of life. It is also the first of the seven great I am's, which are only found in John. And in chapter 7, on the last day of the feast, we have Jesus referring to himself as the one that quenches thirst, the only one that quenches thirst, and the only provider as living water in this amazing statement in verse 37 and 38. Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, 
out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And in our passage this morning, John chapter 8, verse 12, who is Jesus? Verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In one of the clearest, simplest, and boldest statements, Jesus is saying that he is the only one and the only light of the world. This is the second of the seven I am's. This is an astonishing statement to the Jewish audience, especially in the context of the where and the when. Jesus saying, I am, harkens back to God, who is unchanging, who is uncreated. He is not contingent on anything. Whereas we, as people, and the chair you're sitting on, is created. It is a clear statement of his deity and his claim of God. He is an everlasting light that never dims or never goes out. In John chapter 1, those famous verses, those beautiful verses, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The world could not comprehend it. Here, Jesus is identified as Messiah, the light, the life. Light is a powerful metaphor in the Old Testament for salvation for the nation of Israel. It also symbolizes, symbolizes guidance of God's law. Light is also a source of blessing to the world. Genesis chapter 1, let there be light. He is the light of the world that created the light. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 4, 6, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Psalm 18, 28, for it is you who light my path, my lamp, the Lord my God, lightens my darkness. In Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? In our natural state, we are all sinners. We are born sinners. And we know this from Romans 3, 23. We are children of the darkness. Darkness refers to the moral deficiency of the human heart. The wickedness, wickedness of man. In darkness, there is hiding of unspoken sins and abominable sins. Darkness is also associated with death. We fear the dark. When the sun goes down, we all know that there is tremendous sin happening. There is a distinction between darkness and light, death and life. Isaiah 9.2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. 
Jesus is saying that he is the only way out of darkness. In the calling of the first disciples, what did, Philip, what did Jesus say to Philip? Jesus said, he, he found, or John said, he found Philip and said to him, Jesus said this to Philip, follow me. People in the darkness have seen a great light, not just an ordinary light, but a saving light, a light that saves. This is salvation. The true light that came into the world. This is a messianic light. Jesus radiates God himself and the character of God. John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's when for a moment of the transfiguration of Christ where his deity shined with his countenance changing, a bright light enveloping him. His clothes became white, and the disciples fell as if they were dead. Jesus appears to Saul to the road to Damascus where a brilliant light from heaven appears. And it was here where Saul was saved and became an instrument, an apostle for the Lord. This is the Messiah, the light of the world. This Feast of Tabernacles celebrates the 40 years that the Israelites wandered from the wilderness. And how did the people figure out where to go, which direction to go? It was by a pillar, pillar of fire by night and a lit cloud by day. This is how they were led. They would follow their only guide, their only light. Jesus is saying that he is the light of the world that doesn't go out, a light that never extinguishes. All lights go out except Jesus. All fires eventually burn out. Flashlights, you need to really replace them, even those LED lights. Even the sun one day will eventually burn out. Allah's light went out. Buddha's light went out. Joseph Smith's light went out. Jesus is the only inextinguishable light, available to all, to the rich, the poor, to the Jew, the Gentile, to the parent, the child, to the Californian, and the Texan. This is the Messiah. This is Jesus, this claim of deity, available to all. Following Jesus, the light of the world, you will follow the everlasting light that never goes out. Friend, if you're in darkness, you need to put your trust in Jesus. Today is the day for salvation, so that you will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life from the light of the world. This is the sub-point who is Jesus. This is point number one. I am the light of the world. Point number two, another session in court. Verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, 
you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. This is the weak challenge by the Pharisees. We know from John 7:32 that there was already a warrant out for Jesus' arrest. Recall that two weeks ago, Pastor Kevin mentioned that this is a kangaroo court. We see the kangaroo court continuing last week's message about the, the woman caught in adultery. In the end, Jesus turned to the woman, asked about her accusers, where are they? Where are her accusers or witnesses? There were none. Case dropped. Now the Pharisees are going after Jesus and to put him on trial in another kangaroo court for a different accusation. The Pharisees were experts of the law and made sure that everyone followed the law to the letter. This is another vicious attack on Jesus and more ferocious. The accusations get bigger. And there's no bigger attack today than someone taking them to court. In a turn of events, Jesus is accused of not having a witness because Jesus is being accused of bearing witness to himself. In a court of law, you bring witnesses. The Pharisees say that Jesus claimed his testimony is invalid, as Deuteronomy 19.15 states that he can't be the person he says he is unless there are two or more witnesses. In a bold statement, Jesus is saying that he is his own witness. One of the biggest points is that the Pharisees did not even consider the claim of who Jesus said he was. Instead of responding to Jesus and his invitation, they're sneaky. And they go after a technicality in the Old Testament law. You see or hear this all the time. People try to get out of a speeding ticket, moving ticket, parking ticket. They press the court to get out of a ticket, though technically, it's not on the merits or the facts of the case because they know they're guilty. They ran the red light. They're guilty. This is the Pharisees and their weak challenge. Subpoint B, worthy witness. Verse 14, Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from, or where I am going. The reason why courts have two or three witnesses is because people are liars. People break the Eighth Commandment all the time. Two or three witnesses are needed to get to the truth. In court cases, you prepare your case by doing extensive research. You study the case you check the facts, you verify the facts, you check the stories, you check the validity of your witnesses, and you even have expert witnesses. The Pharisees didn't research the testimony of Jesus. And little did they know that Jesus is the ultimate expert witness. Jesus is testifying as a person with a superior source of all knowledge and is truth. Only he is qualified from that standpoint. James Montgomery Boyce says, only God can testify. 
In this case, God the Son is bearing witness both to himself and to God the Father, and the testimony should be accepted because of these unique circumstances. If God made a declaration of himself, it is settled, whether you believe it or not. Jesus, his testimony is true. He is the incarnation of truth. God is perfect and true. Jesus is perfect and true in all that he says and in all that he does. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Titus 1, 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. In Hebrews 6, 18, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, let me repeat that again, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Pharisees, they didn't know where Jesus came from and where he was going. As Jesus supports his claim of divinity by, one, his heavenly origin. John 5, 36, 37. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. In John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but of the will of him who sent me. John 7, 28, 29. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. Jesus not only supports his heavenly origin, but by of his claim of his heavenly destination, where Jesus is going, his heavenly destination. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart of the, out of this world, to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. John 16, 28. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. And in Jesus' high priestly prayer, he knew where he was going. John 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. In verse 15, excuse me, the Pharisees thought they knew where Jesus came from, son of a carpenter. They thought they knew, but they didn't even know of his earthly birthplace, yet more so his heavenly origin. The Pharisees didn't know his heavenly origin, nor his heavenly destination. Verse 15, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Tragically, in a fallen world of sin, the Pharisees are judging by human standards, the flesh. There's no standard. In some sense, judging by the flesh 
is worse than judging by appearances. Today, there is no standard. There's no morality. Today's benchmark of judging is personal experience. What is true for me is not necessarily true for you. Those standards are always changing. changing. This is the judgment of the flesh. Carl Truman, in his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, calls this expressive individualism. It is from a worldly point of view. Jesus doesn't appeal to the fleshly criteria, criteria of the world. The flesh is men testifying about men. The point is that Jesus doesn't judge the way the Pharisees do in the flesh. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.16, we regard no one according to the flesh. This is in contrast to Jesus, the perfect, holy, sinless one. When Jesus says, I judge no one, it is eschatological in nature, John 3.19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. John presents Jesus as the judge that will judge. Jesus is not saying that he doesn't have the right to judge nor the manner of judgment. Jesus' purpose was to save, not condemn. People in part rejected Jesus because he didn't come with fanfare. He didn't come with an army to liberate the nation of Israel. Jesus' first coming is presented as the Savior, the Messiah, People's state, of con con people's state is already condemnation because of sin. Jesus came as a lamb, the lamb of God. His time has not yet come, but he will judge when he comes again. He will judge when it is his time. And an example is the Supreme Court. They will not pass judgment on certain cases. They will put a pass. They will judge on their own timeline. Such is with Jesus. Verses 16 to 19. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore... Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Jesus' testimony is one weakness, one witness. In the Greek, I am the one who bears witness has more of an emphasis, not as a testifier, but one who has full and complete qualifications. The second witness is God the Father who, that sent Jesus. Jesus appeals to the Father himself. They each attest to each other's truthfulness. When Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened up, spirit rested on him, and God the Father said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God the Father affirming God the Son. Jesus is the same nature as God. John 10:30 I and the Father are one. John 5:17 My Father is working until now and I am working. 
Jesus is at work with the Father. Morris says this, if Jesus really stands in the relationship to God in which he says he does, then no mere man is in a position to bear witness. Jesus, therefore, appeals to the Father and himself. Both the Father and Son satisfy the requirement of two witnesses. Verse 19. As Jesus just explained his unique relationship with God the Father and bearing witness about the truth, the Pharisees want the identity of the Father. The Pharisees were thinking in earthly terms, asking to see Joseph. Despite the discussion and interchange, the Pharisees were literally blinded. They didn't get it. Ignorance. This really shows the Pharisees were distant, way distant from God. The inference here is that if Jesus is calling his witness God the Father, that God the Father should be present. However, anyone know, however, anyone that has seen Jesus has seen the Father. To truly know Jesus is to truly know God the Father. Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus is saying that they don't know the Father as they have rejected Jesus himself. This is the climax of this passage as Jesus tells them all this time that the Pharisees don't know the Father at all. This is an astounding statement to the Pharisees, to the Israelites, the keeper of the law. They just could not believe it. It's almost like saying to, to Dave, you don't know firefighting. Or to Paula, you don't know nursing. Our congregants are solid professionals. But the Pharisees, who should have known the Father, that reaction would be like that. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I know the Father. Friend, to the curious, to those that don't believe, you say you know God. Do you really know God? This past week, a survey on the philosophy of life of American adults was published by Arizona Christian University. Researchers found that recent generations of young people are cutting ties with traditional values and the Bible. 43% of millennials don't know, don't care, don't believe God exists. And only 16% of millennials believe that they will go to heaven because they confess their sins and accepted Jesus. Friend, you don't know God unless you know Jesus. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Don't be blinded by the sin of unbelief, but believe in Jesus, the only light of the world. Too many people are walking around seeking to express their individualism and hold on to their experience as truth. They are in dead-end rat races seeking fulfillment in the wrong places in sex, work, money, a religious experience, or a combination thereof. It's, the, it's endless. 
It's self-defeating. It's pointless. This past year, we've seen the effects of COVID-19. And one thing it really showed, it really showed where people's hearts are. It truly did. It truly did. It showed where people put their hope in. Billionaire founder of online shoe retailer Zappos, Tony Shea, died in an, ex in an accident experimenting with nitrous oxide, looking for spiritual enlightenment. A life without Jesus. Tragic. Jesus is the only hope and light of the world. In putting your trust and hope in Jesus, you will know the Father. Christ came and said that I am the light of the world. He also said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. You can't know the Father except through the Son, Jesus. There are only two options. Stay lost in the rat race that leads to dead ends and death, or worship the true living God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You've heard the testimony of Jesus. You've heard the testimony of God the Father. Believe in Jesus, the only light in the world. And I'll conclude with this. When Jesus' hour comes, verse 20. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus' time has not yet come. Three times in chapter 7, the Jews tried to arrest Jesus. Here again, they tried to arrest him. Yet again, Jesus is not arrested because his hour had not yet come. Time was running out for the Jews to accept the testimony of Jesus. It's only six months away before Calvary, where Jesus would be crucified on the cross as the Savior of the world. The cross was the hour that had not yet come. Friend, time is running out for you if you don't know Jesus. If you have not yet put your trust in Jesus, don't let this, be, don't let this day pass that you, so that you may believe. This is Jesus. Point number two, another session in court. John 12, verse 35. The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtakes you. The one who walks in dar the darkness does not know where he is going. Friend, if you don't know Jesus, you're in darkness. You think you know where you're going, but you don't. And why am I telling you this? I want to tell you the truth. Because we love you. Because Jesus loves you. The message of John is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the light of the world, so that you may have life and live. Relationships matter. What's your relationship to Jesus? Lunatic? liar or Lord. I would like to ask the elders to, to please come forward.
If you don't know Jesus, if you have a sin that you need to confess or need of healing or need prayer, the elders are here to pray for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word this morning. Thank you for being the light of the world in this oh-so-dark place we live in. Thank you for being that everlasting light, the light that never distinguished, that never gets extinguished, for you are the true light, the only light. Guide us, lead us this morning, this week, and the months to come, Lord willing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.